Hello, welcome to Cooking the Books, a podcast series of half-hour programmes about books in which food is the story. Each week I'll be talking to authors who use food as character in their novels, cookbooks or biographies. And over the weeks we'll be diving through the bookshelves to feast on the food behind crime, sci-fi, romance, thrillers, mystery and memoir. This week I'm with Bake Off finalist and Mary Berry's very first soggy bottom, Miranda Gore-Brown, whose book Bake Me a Cake As Fast As You Can turns out to be about so much more than baking. I met her in her kitchen to ask what baking means to her. Well, should I tell you a little story? Always. (laughs) When I first saw the advert for the Bake Off, I delayed and delayed about filling in the application form and thought it was something I'd love to do, but I thought I would never get onto it. And I filled in the application form over the sort of half term when we were staying with my mother-in-law and had a bit more time because the children were tiny. And I left it on my husband's desk in his sort of just in the corner where he worked from home sometimes. And normally he sort of marks everything. I think he'll allow me to say that. And he's a bit of an editor and he's a bit, you know, hypercritical about things. And he left it back in the kitchen with not a single mark on it. And there was a post-it note on it. And it said, I didn't know you felt this way. (gasps) Wow, that's powerful. As if I was having an affair with baking, I think. (laughs) And I guess it had taken for me to sit down and think about these questions for the bake-off, for me to actually realise what baking meant to me and, and what it had been for me throughout my life, from very tiny, sitting on the windowsill with my feet on the counter and baking with my mum, all the way through to missing baking horribly when I was at university at Durham and feeling that it was a gap in my life and then baking a lot when I came home and then having it as a sort of calm counsel when I had tiny babies and perhaps I didn't feel like I was achieving what I wanted to be achieving not that it wasn't a huge achievement being with them but getting to an end of a day and biscuits were a massive revelation because I would make a batch of biscuit dough and Thomas would make half and they could be his stickers and biscuits and his shapes and I would make half and make them look beautiful and, and I felt that I'd achieved something other than mummying and also in all my years at M&S as working in food and in busy jobs and traveling lots I guess baking was a constant. Why baking in particular because I hear this story a lot you know people leave home suddenly feel that void especially people who've come from different parts of the world and so many people try and fill that void with the recipes from home to make them feel more who they are and they only recognize that when they've left home so they're always on the phone to their parents or their mum in particular or their grandmothers but not so with cake I don't feel that I hear that a lot with baking well I'm surprised because I think for me baking it is about the food and it is about the bringing together of people but it's much more about love really and I think that everything that I bake has a little bit of me in it and I think that I feel that in the things that people bake maybe it's because nowadays we don't need to bake in the same way you know we can buy our baked goods Mm. and we do sort of need to cook um and I hope we always will need to cook um and so that is a skill that people learn but there's something more for me about baking there's something more I don't want to say profound because it's something so simple it's about the fact that I benefit from it but I also feel that the person I'm giving it to Mm. benefits from it and Mm. in and that's why I'm surprised that you don't hear it so much about cake because for me I find it much more powerful with and it's not just cake it's it is biscuits it is bread it is things that I can create here in my home put a bit of me in and then I can give them or take them into a situation and how that situation or that person is changed 
by what yeah, I have baked. And, and right now we are baking the cake of my childhood because I've done an episode for your podcast, More Than Cake, which is just that. It is, so you took me back to, a, I, I don't feel like I'm a baker. I, I, I can't bake or I couldn't bake. we wait and see with this one. And you've taken me back to a, 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 a cake that my mother used to bake for me. And we've literally been sort of instinctively finding my way back to the kitchen of my mother. And it's been very emotional. And it is something that you do a lot so there's a particular book that you talk about that sort of suggests a sort of synesthetic uh, approach where the the you're mixing your emotions into the cake batter itself tell us about that really influential book um yeah i read the peculiar sadness of lemon cake um i guess anything with cake in the title may have an appeal to me um and it it really struck me that maybe I had something that that some other people might feel like I did that that I was putting this bit of love in or these feelings in and that and that could be negative as well that maybe I didn't like some cakes because they did taste of something that was sad um as the girl in the book had felt that she could feel her mother's sadness through this cake that she had adored and loved and isn't that almost for anyone who's a baker, isn't that like the worst horror story, really? Well, it's anybody a- who's cooking anything, I would yeah. imagine. But, you know, I, I love that idea. I really love that idea. And I feel that, I think. But it really spoke to me when you, when you sort of mentioned that. You write very beautifully. And I know that you're coming to a creative writing course at mine soon, which is really exciting to really up your game with with writing. And I ask everyone to write down their four food moments. And most people would write a sentence or do not you. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you to to read some of this. The first food moment is one of the recipes in the book. Uh, Well, they all are, but it is a real moment for you. And you can tell that all these ideas kind of come together. So this is the really good cherry cake. When I was little, I made myself a poster, a poster for the kitchen that said, don't steal the cherries from the cupboard. There was a pencil drawing of me and my hand taking cherries from the shelf. I always stole ingredients. I still do. I love and have always loved the security and comfort of having supplies in the kitchen that can make magic, the alchemy of baking. A baking supplies cupboard is like a treasure box for me. I now realise I was always fascinated by the ingredients and their potential. The kitchen cupboard was like my apothecary, and it still is. I bake as prescriptions for health and well-being, to send messages of love and kindness, and to say I'm thinking of someone. I only realised this was what I'd been doing when I read Chocolat for the first time. The simplicity of a handful of this and a squeeze of that, a pound, or the equivalent grams, of the softest, finest white flour, yellow butter from the butter dish, little bags of dried fruit or nuts... The understanding of how different baking powders or bicarbonates of soda can change a recipe or how it can be personalised to change taste or memory or something else. It all started with the cherries. This is just a simple Madeira cake, really, but in the 1970s and early 80s, they seemed so sophisticated to me. They christened my introduction to baking. They marked my first experimenting. If I stole the cherries, maybe the cherry cake would be recreated as something else. Mixing, whipping, making, baking, the first feeling of weighing and stirring and knowing the touch of the mixture, that calming feeling, this probably represented all of that. It was also a cake to be found in the tin, a perfect cake to accompany the stories my mum introduced us to, the perfect cake to eat in a blanket camp made with chairs in the sitting room and equally as at home on a Swallows and Amazons adventure too. I love that. I used to make blanket camps and take my cake in there, the cake that is currently baking in your oven. (laughs) I just love that. I imagine that you would write like that about every single recipe in the book, given the time, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, and, and it's funny because when I when I wrote both my books, I loved writing the little blurbs about each recipe. I don't even know. It's funny that we don't really even have a term for it, do we? Yeah. Like the the description or the blurb about it or the little story behind it. And and each one of them had a story. They weren't always a complete recipe. They might have been my recreation yeah. or something. But for me, it is about the stories. And it can be a way of understanding children's literature or it can be a way of being in touch with someone else's past that maybe you haven't known, but you can find through that cake or through that recipe. A bit like you were saying about being in touch with your mother and you know that family situation and how you felt then so I love writing those little descriptions and actually sometimes sometimes it's really hard because I use a lot of words as you probably gathered (laughs) talk a lot write a lot um but actually trying to capture that as something that people feel is that they can be in touch with and they can have a uh, a feeling of why that cake means so much yeah. or that biscuit means so much but I take you back to that first question it, you know I think that you could have written that about absolutely any recipe why did you choose that recipe when I asked you for four just four <laughs> of all these many 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 recipes in your book well it was late last night <laughs> and as I always am I was sat in the kitchen thinking these are the things I still need to do and it was really profound I could see that little poster and in fact, I did think I could go and try and look for it, but I didn't have time. And I can remember almost drawing it, the feel of the glacé cherries, the simplicity of that cake. And I guess it, there were hundreds of recipes I could have chosen, but that really, it summed it up that it sort of began with the cherries. Yeah. Don't steal them. Yeah. <laughs> it feels very prescriptive, Bake Off. It's, you know, it feels like, right, we're going to make a showstopper. We're going to do a this, we're going to do a that. Um, How much of yourself could you, were you allowed to bring in? Um, well, that's a really interesting question because I think that it can feel quite prescriptive, but I think that feeling confident in what you bake and what you make and your ideas is the biggest challenge of Bake Off, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, and that is why people evolve through the show because you grow in confidence because as soon as Paul or Mary say that they've loved it or Paul said he could have served my biscuits at the Dorchester or you grow in confidence and you think well maybe actually I'm not so bad at this or maybe I could do that or maybe this would work and it's funny because it took me a little while to get into it but actually I started to realize that I could trust my taste my palate and I did make things that people like to eat and that was all it was about for me really so the challenges were quite prescriptive but it looking back on it I don't know that I had any choice in what I chose to make because I think my mind had made that up already. I think it was a very instinctive thing. And and one of the other recipes I had chosen was the chocolate brownie meringue cake, which I think is the one I'm known best for, which was my first ever bake on Bake Off. So tell me about your second food moment. Chocolate jammy flake bars. It was with these cakes that I truly began to explore my fascination with the power of cake and memories. I hopped out of the car in Devon, buffeted by the rain, pregnant, putting my coat around my bump and rushing for the cover of the bakery doorway. We'd stopped to buy picnic supplies to take to eat at the beach, although by the look of the weather we'd be finding a place to park the car with a view of the sea. It was then that I spotted them. The rows of neat oblong chocolate cakes, the dribbles of melted chocolate left over from their dipping, had dripped onto the paper cases they sat in, but they were neat and uniform and each one had a flake on top. I was transported to the bakers in Storrington, the place where our best friends had lived, where we went to church and flew kites on the downs, where we went up the steep steps from the shopping arcade to the dentist for our checkups, or to explain exactly why my brother had lost another brace. I always chose one of these cakes. 
I can remember their smell, how they looked, how I would eat off all the chocolate from the sides, then eat the bottom layer of cake, lick off the jam, nibble the rest of the top layer of sponge and be left with just the chocolate from the top and the prize at the end, the flake. Recreating these from a tray bake, transforming a slab of chocolate cake into joyful nostalgia and memories to share with others in my book was a delight. It showed me just how a cake can transport you through time and bring back memories and details. This healing power of cake and memory baking has been really important with my family and finding ways for all of us to cope with my dad's dementia. It's made me think a lot about memories and baking in particular Mm. and how... uh, important that is in all of our lives it's been something that's been particularly important for us over the last couple of years after the last five years really so five years ago this week my father was in intensive care and he was we were told he wouldn't make it um and he's still with us he's in a care home now and it's been a long road of lots of challenges and he has dementia but the one thing that we can still reach him with is cake um and I made a cake the week that he was in hospital. I don't know if I've told you the story. So he was in intensive care and my brother had flown back from China on a work trip early to see him and what we thought was to say goodbye. And my other brother had driven down in the snow in the night from Sheffield and we'd been told that when they turned off the equipment he wouldn't probably come around, his heart wouldn't be strong enough. Um, And it was very emotional and we were all in this intensive care ward with Dad saying our goodbyes basically. And then he came round and he was okay. Not okay, but, you know, he was awake and he was alive. (laughs) And I remember standing with a consultant and saying, so is he not going to die then? And he said, well, he might. But he said, let's see, at the end of the week. And I said to him, well, if we get him to the end of the week, I'm going to bring him in the cake. (laughs) And I think the consultant probably thought I was crazy, (laughs) some kind of crazy relation. But on that Friday, my dad had been moved into high dependency rather than intensive care. And in the morning, I stood here in the kitchen and I made my dad's favourite cake. And I did cry into that cake and I did put happiness and love into that cake. And it was really simple. It was a Victoria sponge with vanilla buttercream and always raspberry jam because dad doesn't like it with strawberry jam. And I took it in and that whole ward changed the minute I bought the cake in. And everybody changed. The nurses changed. They came and stole pieces and put it in the locker to have later. And the lady in the bed next to dad who hadn't spoken for four days we turned to her and said would you like some cake and she said I would actually and my dad hadn't eaten anything had been on tubes and been pulling them out all week and he grabbed this piece of cake and he pushed it in his mouth and it ran down his face and his chin and I guess we kind of knew it was going to be all right or he was going to be there and he was still there. Did you feel like a post-bake-off Miranda (laughs) did you or did you feel like your dad's child um well I suppose I was that little vulnerable little girl that wanted my dad to be okay but I also wanted him maybe I was making him feel like the child as well I mean I I remember saying to him this is what your mum would have made what my grandmother who I never knew but she ran a tea rooms on the Isle of Wight she would have made this cake and he would have had that when he was little um, so maybe it's cross generations. So all those nurses must have known that you were Miranda from Bake Off and your dad must have been so proud. Well, he wasn't well enough to feel proud at the time. But afterwards, it was a conversation point. And actually, my mum managed to bump into the consultant. He, you know, basically saved his life in the corridor. He popped in on his day off and was totally overwhelmed by my mum giving him a massive hug and 
huge piece of this cake to take home and enjoy with his family and I guess it was that sort of connection so they did I'm sure after I'd gone talk about Bake Off and look at the things that I'd done and and certainly you know when there have been moments when it's been really difficult for mum and dad and for all of us as a family it's kind of been cake that has brought conversation to the fore and made the focus on all the difficult things seem less important because we're all just enjoying a piece of cake together. So your third food moment in the book it's called double chocolate brownie meringue cake but actually this is your signature cake so my third thing was and really had to be i think was my chocolate hazelnut brownie meringue cake with raspberry cream i'm not very good at short and punchy titles (laughs) um and this was a really hard thing we were given our first brief for the bake-off and we had no time i had a phone call on the Saturday morning at about 9.30 to say that I'd made it through to the final 10. And that was on the Saturday and we had to leave to film the following Friday. On the Wednesday, I had to go up and to have an appointment with a psychologist in London to check that we were okay to go on the programme. On the Thursday, we had a small crew come down and filmed with me all day in the kitchen and then all evening with the children and on the Friday I had to pack up and go up to London to meet the crew at Love Productions the other bakers and we were put in a minibus and taken up to the Cotswolds so there was very little time and we were emailed a brief and one of them was what is your signature cake Um, make it a cake that defines you a cake that is the flavors that you love and something that you would make for other people or something along those lines and I love things where it's mixed together I had to think long and hard about what it was this was going to be my first ever bake on this brand new tv show that no one knew anything about and I came up with this um so I'll tell you what it is so my signature cake and first ever bake on the great british bake-off it shouted me The cream was too pink, or so Paul Hollywood thought. I thought it was perfect. And so began the many disputes and heated discussions we would have throughout the series about flavours and taste and the look of what I had baked. I could only bake things one way. The way I felt was just right. It happened naturally. The recipes would form in my mind and I would test them and make them until they were just right. Mary and Paul thought it was delicious and it was the first thing I ever made on TV. It was the start of everything, really. I made what I loved and what I hoped others would love. Ten years on, people still make this recipe loads on the BBC Good Food website and from the Bake Off book, from my website as well. And they still send me pictures of it and messages telling me how much everyone has loved it, how it tastes great and it's really easy to make. And that's really me and what my baking is about and why I love writing recipes and sharing them so much. Baking is about sharing love. This cake is a little bit of me baked into it. And do you bake it often now? Is it still part of who you are? I do sometimes it made me think a little bit like when we were baking together it's a little while since I baked it it's I could honestly the list the number of different people old school friends who've emailed me completely out of the blue and said oh we saw you make this on Bake Off made this a friend from university who went to live in Australia who saw me on the show didn't even know I was doing it and then got back in touch connections and different people people who suddenly i'll be here on a sunday with the children doing homework or whatever we're doing and boom someone will email me from australia and say just made this cake it was great at this party so i love that i love the fact there's a little bit of me going out there and it's not really complicated it's Mm -hmm. chocolate brownie it's meringue baked on top of the brownie Mm. which once i'd cracked it it works i had one friend who uh, is a doctor near here and um 
she said to me the other day, she said, well, you know, I bought your book because I thought it would be good because you'd written it. But, you know, I didn't know if it would be any good. <laughs> nice to have a friend with such faith in you. And she'd said, I have a variation of this in my book, a simpler variation, which is just a double chocolate brownie cake. And she said she'd made it for a dinner party and stood there and thought, this is never going to work. What's she talking about? <laughs> she only just confessed this the other day. And then she put it in and it was absolutely perfect. And she said her, she said she can remember sort of giving a little nod to me as if to say, oh, well, you, you can make these cakes after all. It was OK. I did say to her, I had managed to do it on the Bake Off, which was a bit more stressful than doing it for, for dinner at her house. But anyhow. And your fourth food, food moment and the last food moment um, to take through baking a cake as fast as you can is pizza cake. Yes. OK. And then there is the pizza cake. When cake is not just cake, when cake twists and turns and one day you have to tackle the chapter in your book on savoury cakes and you think about how many people make pizza with their children and you wonder if you could make a pizza cake. This cake is quirky and fun. It doesn't look like a cake, but its ingredients and method make it one. I wasn't sure if it was too crazy or if people would think I was strange making this cake. I remember my editor encouraging me and being utterly blown away when I made her want to taste. She said to me recently that she still loves it and shocked me by telling me this is one of her favourite ever recipes from all the books she has published. She has published a lot. She has made as many variations as there are pizza toppings and turned it into her signature cake. Cake should be a giggle, inventive and sometimes surprising. I guess it was this cake that made me more confident, made me believe in myself more, encouraged me to bake with my instinct and to know I could make things work in cake and in life too. It's a bit of a diversion for you to cook something savoury. Did you put that in there because you felt you should, but you're happier with the, the sweets? Um... Well, I bake a lot of savoury things and I cook a lot. I'm, you know, I'm a big cook as well as a baker. I mean, mm. I would never be someone who is, I, I don't see myself as a master chef kind of cook, mm. but I'm, I'm a home taught cook and I, I love cooking, always cooking. And I guess baking is my first love, but cooking, cooking too, it's, it's, it's very similar. Um, but savoury cakes was something we talked about a lot when we, um, proposed my book and I had done in my biscuit book that came first I had done a uh, savoury biscuits chapter which had been really popular and a lot of people had talked about it and it seems crazy but actually having good recipes for savoury biscuits really simple things to make cheap and easy to make at home and why go all the way to the shop to buy a box of them Um, but savoury cakes I found perhaps I had more chance to be a bit more inventive um, something a bit different and I've I've got in there some a rush tea cake um, a sweet potato and chorizo loaf that I make all the time um, and have made for loads of different types of people. Um, and it gave me a chance to sort of explore flavours. So I, I don't avoid savoury. I guess I've become more known for my sweet tooth. Um, but I love the idea of bringing into cake um, or biscuits, but into cake in particular, this uh, way of looking at it differently. And, 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 and a big thing in my life is about flipping it. I like to flip things and try and look at them in a different way you clearly love writing you're just about to do this creative writing course at mine what do you want to do with that writing because it's clearly a passion of yours well it's really interesting because I've written loads more creatively over the last year or two really just for my own self sort of I don't know just for I find it cathartic I love poetry yeah, I've written quite a lot of those. <laughs> and I've become more confident at putting them on Instagram. I've used it again as a way of 
helping us all as a family with my dad um talking about the quirky things that happen with him um with poems um I'm flattered you call them poems I sort of see them as my sort of creative (laughs) writing really um and I just love it I feel like I've got stories that I want to tell and I have things that I want to get out there and it's sort of a part of me that has gone untapped for quite a long time and I guess it started to peak out when I was writing my books um I write a food column now and I've had a lot more chance to talk about the seasons and memories and what food means to me um yeah so I don't I don't know I'm interested to know where I can take it and what I can do with it I mean there are lots of precedents you know Gilmella for example writes very beautifully about food Nigella obviously writes very beautifully about food and there's then there are the cookbooks where you know you have a lovely introduction and then you have just basically a recipe and I love to read Diana Henry Mm. I mean I've never cooked Diana Henry recipe ever but I devour her (laughs) books because I love to read about food as well as cook well, yes, and I suppose that's a bit like uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Joanne Harris, who wrote Chocolat, mm. uh, last year. And I found that fascinating. And, and and we all have our inspirations, don't we? I'm I'm chair of the Beatrice Potter Society and, you know, Beatrice Potter herself in her writing as someone that's always inspired me. Her use of sophisticated language to speak to children, her touching on very important messages through childhood uh, works of literature. Um so I guess so maybe there is a bit more of a writer to come out, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> I hate yeah. so. But of course, the other reason I came here today was to do your podcast, <laughs> which is more than cake. And this is much more than cake that I can smell coming out of your <laughs> oven. And we have to attend to the cake of my childhood. So let's finish off them around the corner. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please do subscribe, rate and review it. And you can listen to all the other episodes in the series and tell your food-loving bookworm friends that this is the podcast where food is the story. I'll see you next week.